Welcome to Marginal Way with Natalie Gray, a podcast born with the intention to highlight the perspectives of those that make Seattle tick. Our conversations feature the good news that exists in our corner of the world and ultimately gets us inspired for what we can build together next. I select guests with hearts, heads, and actions all in the right place. A unique and much-needed combination nowadays, as ever. They are inspirational and dear to me, as I hope they will become inspirational and dear to you. If I were to award someone with the most amazing, consistently generated entrepreneurial ideas award, it would be today's guest, Adam Powers. I swear someone out there needs to pay you to be an idea generator, Adam. That would be absolutely awesome. (laughs) Adam Powers, who I'm speaking with today, is a serial entrepreneur, virtual reality or VR developer, executive director of Key Tech Labs, film expert who studied at Clark Atlanta University, and he's one of my favorite colleagues I've ever had. So today we're going to go through a catalog of Adam's forward-thinking projects and the philosophies behind them. Each project is a synergetic combination of technology, self-sustainability, education, and empowerment. Let's get started by introducing your longest standing project that I know of, Keytech Labs. For those who haven't heard of the organization yet, what is Keytech Labs? And what gap in society does it fill? Keytech Labs is a nonprofit where our mission has been to bring emerging technologies to underprivileged areas to help create self-sustainable What that means is bringing cool technology like virtual reality, augmented reality, 3D printing, and bringing those to communities that don't normally get to have access to that technology, not only giving them access, but allowing them to use the technology for their community. One of the projects that we did through the Port of Seattle was a FarmBot project where we bought an open source technological CNC router called the FarmBot that when you put on a garden bed, it will weed water and seed the garden all by itself. That's kind of like the overall scope of what Key Tech Labs does. And obviously we're focused on the digital divide and that gap between those who have access to technology and the internet and those who don't, as well as sustainable technology, green technology, solar, agricultural technology, all these things that allow us to take control of our own destiny and self-determination and income generation. And there's also an element of history in Key Tech Labs too, especially with the flight simulator that you and your students made. You want to speak to that? Yeah, one of the projects that we did was to create a virtual reality flight simulator. So you got to sit in a PVC made structure that made you feel like you were flying a P-51 Mustang, same model airplane as the Tuskegee Airmen flew in World War II. By combining that history with this new futuristic medium to work in, you're providing your students a teaser for options of paths forward for the rest of their life, just by showing what's possible while they're young. That's really cool. Yes, and also making a connection between African-American history with the Tuskegee Airmen and futuristic technology, getting to fly a P-51 Mustang, but they also got to learn Uh, some of the history. And we were doing that in collaboration with the Seattle chapters of the Tuskegee Airmen, mixing history, technology, culture, all together and just wrapping it into one new age education. 
See, to me, Keytech Labs exemplifies the basic belief that we have to treat each other like we are all capable humans with lives worth nourishing with education and technology. Next, let's introduce folks to your up-and-coming project for this summer, the VR Ho Rainforest Tour. The VR Ho Rainforest Tour is our project to capture the Ho Rainforest, the rainforest we have here in Washington, uh, and capture it in virtual reality, put it onto Oculus headsets and other VR-capable devices, and share that experience with those who statistically wouldn't get a chance to go, which is my way of saying pretty much everybody, especially those from communities of color who don't get a chance to go out and enjoy the environment in this beautiful place we call the Pacific Northwest. In that process, we are telling the story of the Ho tribe and their uh, land and the land that their ancestors have taken care of. So we always want to focus on that culture, not just the technology going out there and not just the nature uh, or the history of that location, but really the culture. So with that said, we wanted this project to be equitable, which means we reached out to the Ho tribe themselves and have engaged with them and talked to their council. And they have agreed to narrate the experience as well as help to develop the story so that the end story, this experience, will be told by the descendants of the original ancestors of the land. That's awesome. I really love that for many of your projects involving a history, you're working alongside the tribe or alongside the Tuskegee chapter to ensure you're representing their story the way they want it to be told and transform it into this new technological format that's both immersive and educational. For any project we talk about today, what excites me most is that all of this is not only possible, but is happening. It's happening here because of people like you. You've taught me that virtual reality, or VR, is increasingly accessible yet not widely adopted yet for many reasons. So why do you choose VR as the medium by which to teach? VR allows for multiple forms of what we can call education that happen at the same time. You're seeing it, so visual learners, kinesthetic learners can actually move and use their body in the learning process. You can hear audio at the same time. And the immersive experience allows for you to retain the information and be more involved in the narrative that's being told, which matters when it comes to learning. If you're more involved into the content that you're learning, it's going to be easier to learn it, remember it, and execute it in the future. And as we can see with the current situation that we're in, our educational system needs to move into accessibility, meaning allowing individuals to experience and learn in ways that are more than just sitting in a classroom in front of a teacher. Try it out and you can understand how virtual reality takes over three of your five senses. The visual, obviously, audio, because you have the headset covering your ears as well and you're getting audio input. And then touch, when you're using your body and you're holding on to the controllers to pick up things and interact with it. Those three senses, three out of the five you determine reality with, are directly receiving input. You can just imagine how that makes it a lot easier to learn. 
In a similar vein, I know you're working on another project, the Remote Environmental Education Program. It's still in development, but it's timely that we talk about it now. What is it and why is it important? This new program is trying to utilize these new ways of learning, blended learning and new technologies to allow individuals to learn remotely within their own environment, specifically training them in workforce development for green jobs. The overall project is very simple. We're seeking funds for a laptop, a VR headset, and a hotspot, and send it to cohort members who will be able to receive those, take classes online. These e-learning platforms like lynda.com, Interplay Learning, and specifically with Interplay Learning, they'll be able to not only learn solar installation, plumbing, electrical work, but they'll get to do a lot of that training in virtual reality simulated art. They'll be able to train in simulation where they can be on top of a roof and install solar system. They can open up uh, electrical panel and work on electrical wiring, things that would be unsafe. And now they're able to interact and learn in the safety of their home. And just opening up avenues for individuals to get the green training and the education that our world is in need of, those skilled green technicians, but in a whole new way. In what spaces do you envision the students of this program being able to work? This program is centered around the solar industry as there are very few individuals of color in this, specifically the solar industry, and the industry is growing so fast and rapidly that there's a need for training programs dedicated to building more specific solar installers and solar technicians. Yeah, as someone who works in solar, I'm super passionate about that too. In fact, it's within the solar industry that we first got a chance to meet. We met as colleagues at the company Omnidian, which is my current day job, your former day job. Omnidian is a Seattle startup in the solar industry that accelerates the adoption of renewable technologies by stewarding solar energy systems nationwide. With your influence, Adam, the company has been open to some radical changes in the business realm, like offering our open offices for free to other entrepreneurs of color like CEO and teacher Melanie Kong. Or another project you spearheaded at Omnidian during the spring of 2020 was our Civic Action Committee and the Corporate Playbook, which commits companies like ours to dedicate resources and time to local BIPOC organizations. We've all enjoyed throwing that weight behind those initiatives too, but the ideas start with you, and that's worth celebrating. I also mentioned Omnidian because one of the original ways you introduced me to VR was by bringing in your Oculus headset after work to show me one of your earliest VR creations, the tiny house. You have this long game project of tiny houses and villages. Can, can you speak to that? My overall project is creating a self-sustainable tiny house. And what that means is a 200 square foot house that has its own solar system as well as energy storage. So it generates 100% of the energy that is consumed. It actually has a air to water generator, an attached biogas digester to heat the house. It even has an aeroponic grow tower that allows you to grow about 27 plants per month in just a 10 square foot radius. The idea is that this house can go down anywhere. You don't need to attach the grid because you produce your own electricity. 
we do not need to attach to the water system or utilities because we produce over 50 gallons of water per day with this house and store some of your own gas. So your heating will be covered all encompassing, completely off grids, completely self-sustainable tiny house. We're working on some larger models, incorporating a community land trust to buy joint land and then building out tiny houses on this land, incorporating solar farms to create a whole village that is 100% self-sustainable. We literally have the technology to do this. You can buy a lot of it off of Amazon right now. We live in a futuristic world where this is, I'm not just talking sci-fi, this is something we can do now. And as we see what's happening in Texas right now, these type of villages could act as microgrids to offset some of the resource development and resource needs that communities like what we're seeing in Texas need right now. What motivates your projects? A need for sustainability, really. We live in a world right now where you can generate your own energy, have your own water, grow your own food, and have everything you need to support your life. That's what we need, I guess, as everybody right now, is to take over those the resource developments, control our own lives, and until you are producing your own electricity, until you are producing your own water and food, you are a part of the system. And the only way to reach a state of true freedom is not just by making money, but to own those resources that make your life livable. And the scope of everything I do, as you can see, I'm jumping around into different categories, but the intent is to cover what allows us to live a happy, productive life that we can pass on to our kids. I have a son, he is six years old, and I would love him to have the skills to produce all the resources he needs to live. So no matter where he goes in life, no matter where he lands, he is always a useful member of that society, as well as 100% capable of taking care of himself. With that, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Adam, I love that one of the things you do to introduce yourself to new people is to ask, what is your favorite film? Because as a person with an arts background and a deep appreciation for film, I could pick you out as a kindred spirit right away. You've also studied film and your passion for storytelling permeates much of what you do. How does your arts education and storytelling inform your entrepreneurship? Great question. I didn't understand this until I came out of uh, film school and didn't really think it was valuable. But then I got into business and started doing specifically like pitches. As a business, you're always promoting yourself. You're always telling 
not just the story of your business and why you're doing it, why you feel it's needed, the impact you think it's going to have, but also why you specifically are doing it, how you got there. And so storytelling, I found out, wasn't just a something you do to create entertainment and market, but it is something that we as humans have always done. It's our go-to way of communicating and passing along lessons. So there's a tie into education. It's a way of organizing things and teaching. So storytelling has pretty much been the basis of how I communicate to the world what I plan to do. It's something that I teach in my classes and entrepreneurial classes, which I previously ran at the library, is getting individuals to tell the story of what they're trying to do. Start where you are, find out where you want to be, that's the end, and then you focus on the middle. And now you have a succinct linear story that has a beginning, middle, and end, and we can figure out the details of what most likely is going to happen. Every business runs into typical situations, and those situations become your story. And if we can figure out what that story is before we even take a step, then it helps us and prepares us mentally for the journey ahead. Arts background made me a better scientist because I was already introduced to a pluralism of ways to learn and understand the world. It led me to question my assumptions more easily and understand the validity of multiple forms of science. Things classified as art are critical for our well-being, not only our personal well-being, but the well-being of whatever work we do. So thanks for sharing your piece. I think a lot of folks know that the work you do is necessary and are dreaming of things like this to happen. So to hear that it does exist and that you're working on it is a really meaningful thing. You're inspiring a lot of other beneficial work by way of your ideas. So what insight do you have for those starting out in creative entrepreneurship? I would say, number one, understand what you're getting into. Study it from every angle. Find uh, individuals who've already gone down the path that could be an autobiography of individuals who are also doing the things you're trying to do. Uh, you can find business plans online and you can find a network through LinkedIn, Facebook. So really dive into it. The second thing I would say is never accept no as an answer. Always listen to no's and get follow-up asking them why don't ever let someone tell you no, and that's it. That's not acceptable. You have to say no, and this is why I don't think it would work. Or no, because it's missing this. So never take no as an answer. Always follow up on that no, figure out why, and then take that information and put it into your plan. So the next time someone says no for that same reason, you already have that information, you might already have a solution for that. And now you can turn that no into a yes. But again, if someone's just gonna say no, which is most people's reaction, they're just gonna toss out no, it's their favorite word to say, just move on. And those who are able to say no, and this is why, really listen to them. And you'll get very valuable information and feedback that you can use to push you forward your opportunity. 
I have to laugh to myself because I'm recognizing this podcast is quickly shaping up to be the I have cool friends show, <laughs> which isn't bad, but isn't the whole Pacific Northwest picture either. So you've recommended to me a couple of new friends that we'll get to spend more time with by way of our coming episodes. At this point, listeners, keep an ear out for Shanita Smith of Diamonds in the Rough after our break next week, and later on, Moises Santos, a user experience designer whose AI experiments led him to create a taco truck. <laughs> Very cool. Well, you can thank Adam for those introductions when it comes time. Do you know why we're taking a break next week? It's my birthday, and my younger siblings too. Fun fact, though we're six years apart in age, my sibling Joby was only six hours away from having the same birthday as mine. Little me always wished for a twin, and well, that's about as close as I got. <laughs> you, on the other hand, are a twin. I can't say I'm jealous, but... <laughs> okay, I, I regress. It's time to wrap up this episode with an appreciation in true Omnidian form. Adam, your unique mind is your asset. Like any of the best leaders, you are a bridge between the world as it is and has been to the world that we need to become, one that's more equitable, technologically accessible, and inspired. Thank you for lifting everyone with you. And thank you again for taking time to come record with me. Thank you, Natalie, for all that you do. Um, I'm looking forward to hearing all your other guests and just watching this podcast grow. I'm very glad that you started this. Me too. You've done a lot of good informing today, and at least everything I had planned, right? But knowing us and the conversations we have after work on the light rail, I feel like we've really only just scratched the surface. What else does the world need to know? I just came up with an idea for, I think it's my book. It's going to be my first published long-form book mm -hmm. called black power mm -hmm. and energy revolution cool um and it's really a combination of everything that we're talking about right now about not just self-determination within the black community but within all communities is uh sovereignty too owning and managing your own whether that's food electricity water land and in addition talking about some of these newer technologies and what's coming up next and showing people just step by step that the technology exists the problem is here and we have a solution and just outlining that and even outlining a business plan for a community land trust which has cooperative businesses like community supported agriculture community supported water and just uh, create a overall process for how we not only generate revenue and wealth that we can pass on to our families, but also create the resources to continue supporting our life and our living um, so that we can have a future. The first chapter talks about power to the people and really defining what power is and what power is in our society. Power takes multiple different mm -hmm. forms, the more literal form of energy, electrical energy that powers our grid. And as we can see in the situation with Texas <laughs> and all over the world, but Texas is just a visible view for our American first world society to see that it is an issue. 
And the second it goes away, it becomes a huge issue. So really talking about those concepts of where environmental justice and social justice intersect and how not really an intersection because they are the right. same thing. If we really care about the environment, then we care about the people who are in those environments. <laughs> and then we'll, we also have to take a step back and figure out, wait, why are these environments so terrible in the first place? Why are these people who are getting affected by this negative environment, not the same people who are creating the negative within the environment? And it's all interwoven, these problems and solutions. And it really comes down to us needing to see each other as human beings and to utilize the powers that we do have currently to make the world a better place. And ironically, it's not like we don't have the power to do it. It's more about a choice of where we're exerting and who we're giving power mm -hmm. to. That's critical. And it reveals as many of us know that technology is not neutral and science and, and the applications of science are only as important as people are important. If we're truly working for the benefit of everybody as we say we are, we have a long way to go to ensure that everyone is a part of that equation because we're not there yet. If you're looking for a good book on what our possible future could be and how uh, a little, just a little hope. There's a book called Abundance. It just talks about how our world is not necessarily what we see right now, where we believe there's too little energy, there's too little food, and there's too little drinking water. It really outlines how we live in a world of abundance of resources, not a deficit. And all we have to do is shift our way of thinking, really a paradigm shift, which looks like it's happening regardless of we want it to or not, we could produce all of these resources. Something I've noticed during this conversation that we haven't quite spoken to yet is that we've identified a bit about race, but we also kind of skirted around race when we could have spoken about it. I don't think that because it's your episode, we have to talk about it. It's really up to you what we ultimately want to include in the audio but I know that it's an aspect that informs a lot of your work. So I want to be cognizant of that. Honestly, I was thinking about that a lot in the prep for this. And part of what I've been doing is uh, approaching it as a food issue, approaching it as a digital divide issue. But like when I'm sitting down looking at this book, this is it's not any of those issues. It really comes down to a race okay. issue, a class mm -hmm. issue. Because racism is just a subsection of classism. Mm -hmm. And unless we address that at its core, we're, we're not really solving anything. But the clear factor is you cannot oppress if I have my own shelter, have my own food, water. I control all those things. It's going to be really, really hard to put me in a situation like minorities and African-Americans are in right now because you're taking my ability to fend for myself, while at the same time, the popular narrative is that uh, African-Americans and those of lower classes or low income are not willing to fend for themselves when it's really you put me in a situation where I can't. 
You control the education. You control the food pipeline and the groceries. You control the water. So when Flint's water goes down, it's up to you to fix it. And it's been five years and you still haven't fixed it. So the concept of Black Wall Street and a lot of the community land trusts and cooperative models are there to give ownership and power, economic power, political power, uh, literal power back to the people who are most in need of that, who generate that power. Eighty-nine percent of businesses are owned by white men, so our society caters towards business owners. That's just another form of catering towards right. white men. But you get away with it because you can say, "Oh, well, we're catering to the business. We're giving loans to the businesses." But who owns those businesses? Yeah, it's about the history of how businesses were set up in the United States, which wasn't neutral at all. History ties into accessibility and technology and who gets the loans. All of that's connected, but it comes down to the fact that if we can give those the ability to do for themselves, then they'll be able to control their own life. To be honest, you asked earlier, why are you doing this? The true answer, and I don't know if we've ever talked about this, you cannot be a free person if you do not have control over the roof, the food, the water, and the things that define living. If someone else owns those things, if someone else provides those things, regardless if you have the means to pay for it, because they can always cut them off at any point in time. So until you have control over those things, you cannot be free. And that's the basic premise which I'm working on, which means my focus is to bring and teach individuals the technology skills to not only manage those things for themselves, but also to use those skills to offer as income, or to generate income, or to trade for their neighbor's skills and talents. So now we live in a society where there's less top-down control, and we all are taking responsibility for our lives. I think your work speaks for itself. Though I haven't told you this before today, I believe the work you've chosen communicates that need. And anybody who's in tune with the world, much less the United States, much less Seattle, is aware of that need. That's a lot of the value I see in your projects is addressing those historical disparities and very much now modern disparities and setting the standard for what we should do and can do more cooperatively. I know you know this, but for the record here, when it comes to interpersonal worth, the dichotomy is false. Whether it's gender, class, race, age, geographic location, you name it, we all have inherent worth. However, the manifestation of what we've believed, resulting in how we've treated each other over time, the impacts of that, and the disparities folks experience are very real and should be addressed on the basis of the false dichotomies that engendered them. Listeners, whatever your realm of influence may be, Take responsibility for ensuring that each other's inherent worth is recognized, celebrated, and done justice. That is beautiful. I'm going to have you review my edits before I publish, both because I want to represent you well, and because as a media maker, I have the ability to edit the audio and make 
anybody's sound in any kind of way. You know, bottom line is that I want to ensure that your intention is there and that the sentiment resonates. And it's kind of an odd path to travel because I have to constantly ask myself, like, who am I creating for? And what are the expectations of what I create? Perhaps that's something you identify with as a filmmaker. Yeah. Once you create it, your audience is going to judge it. And you're always thinking about that in how you're cutting it in the presentation. Right. It's um, out of your hands once, but, once it's out there. <laughs> yeah. But you've done such a great job. It is, a, it is a pleasure hearing your voice. This is a pleasure that you are doing this. I'm glad that you're spotlighting people because even with all the other podcasts, we do need people spotlighted and specifically in the environmental mm -hmm. space. And you're connecting with very amazing and powerful people who are on the rise and they need support. Like your first guest, she was amazing. I realize that there are a lot of people and actions that I see happening that encourage me a lot. Yet there are people out there saying they don't see it yet or they don't feel the same support or inspiration yet. So that's a lot of why I'm doing this. Marginal Way with Natalie Gray is brought to you by the Anchor app, the easiest way to make a podcast. Follow us at Marginal Way Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and wherever you listen to podcasts. See you next week.